Team's in early today. Something special going on? Sorry, Ed. You know the rules. If we're gonna move forward, this is the next logical step. We're ready for you. Here goes nothing. Sebastian, are you in here? So, what's it like being a ghost? Ghost or dead? I'm very much alive. Welcome to Midnight Flakes, a podcast dedicated to movies relegated to a late night purgatory. One of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, joining me on tonight's episode and every episode, Adam Walker. Top of the morning to you. I would hope every episode. When are you? Gonna, when am I going to wake up? And I will have uh, gotten my walk-in papers. I've been trying to find a replacement for since the beginning, frankly, and uh, <laughs> I'm relegated to this late night purgatory. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, if 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 you were a, a smart man, you would you would have upgraded a while ago. But we're, you're we're an idiot like each me. Other. You're stuck. Yeah, two two dummies in the same pod. For better or Literally. worse. For better or worse. Hey, bud, do you want to play some Stump the Chump? Oh, man. I guess. Yeah, that's fine. I feel like this one is easy. Okay. Um, I mean, I need I an know. easy one. We're going to get you on the board here. Come hell or high water. Um, let me just, real quick, get a stopwatch going, and then we'll be... Ready to go. Okay. Ready? I'm ready, Freddy. 1989, Christmas Vacation. 1991, Cape Fear. 1991, Crooked Hearts. Julia Lewis. Yes, you got that it. Wasn't easy. That was an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I would, uh, thought I'd be kind to you. Uh, and get you get you on the board. But hey, good for me. Check it out. Put it on the board. Hard <laughs> as a baseball podcast. This sucks. I would have I would actually have fun because I don't keep up with baseball, and you obviously are a fan. Also, I mean, I've been keeping up to the extent this season, knowing that there hasn't been a season, but now there is, right? The back end. Yeah, they were in a they were in a lockout. The th- season was in uh, big trouble there for a minute because the the two sides were not not negotiating in any sort of capacity. But yeah, in the in the midnight hour, thirteenth hour came through. 
Yeah, I heard it was basically an owner's strike. Hey, the owners are being greedy. How about that? Yeah, the players wanted just a little bit, and the owner said, um, how about no? <laughs> yeah. They just, the players' union wanted a little bit of concessions, and owners didn't seem to budge. I don't actually fucking know anything about the what ultimately was decided, but yeah, baseball's back at least, so that's good. That's good at least. Just in time. All, all fucking summer. Um... Well, there's nothing uh, more America, uh, more <laughs> American than apple pie, baseball, or Paul Verhoeven <laughs> as, a, as a director. <laughs> he's, a, <laughs> he's the first time on the pod, which is, seems crazy. Um, but tonight we're talking about uh, the year 2000's Hollow Man, um, which I'm, I'm curious to hear. Uh, your thoughts um so give me some uh give me some off the top thoughts having seen this for the first time in a long time so a couple things first off mr verhoven if you're listening i apologize that this is the way we had to open up a discussion about you uh second yeah secondly was the alternate title for this movie the world's horniest scientist or even more so the rape scientist. Yeah. It didn't clear. Didn't clear MPAA. Um, so, you know, sometimes I like to make references to things that we're talking about in this movie to other things. And I especially love, well, you and I both, we really like making the Seinfeld connections. Oh, yeah. Here we have another uh, Mr. Show reference for me, though. And I think we've talked about Mr. Show plenty. And I don't know how familiar you are with Mr. Show. Not at all. Okay. Well, in one of the later seasons of Mr. Show, they had a, a sketch where the show got taken over by essentially like a gang lord who was in prison and was operating the show's production from prison. And he was changing the whole, um, programming and, uh, Bob and David were about to do a skit. And let me see if I can cue it up here. This is what it reminds me of. And, uh, so let's get started right off with a trip to the world's horniest mad scientist. <laughs> oh! Doctor, doctor, what have you done to me? Oh, what are you doing to me, my lips and <laughs> So anyways, they had this skit where it was called the world's horniest mad scientist. And... Oh Bob yeah, Odenkirk. how how appropriate. Yeah. yeah, Bob Odenkirk had one of those like rubber like boob suit things that you get for Halloween on. Mm-hmm. And and David Cross was dressed up as kind of a a hack uh Albert Einstein and Bob Odenkirk sees that he has tits and he goes, "What did you do to me?" And David Cross goes, what are you doing to me, my Liebchen? And he goes and runs after like he's going to grab his titties. Anyways, that is my very roundabout way of saying that skit is this movie. 
<laughs> Okie dokie. Um, well, <laughs> more concisely, uh, I I think I loved this more than I thought I would. I I, I love this way more than I thought I would. I I was anticipating having a bad time or being, and I'm the one that chose this, or being duped into some sort of like just being duped by my nostalgic tendencies. But um, this uh, kind of scratched my proverbial midnight flicks itch. It's like a, you know, and we've gone tit for tat here so far this season in terms of uh, you're a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll. That's how we that's how we roll with this podcast in terms of our choices. This is a big budget baddie, if there ever was one. Uh, just a bunch of money thrown at at, a, at reconceptualizing a, a once great idea and to ill effect. <laughs> but I fucking loved it. I, I, I had a fucking great time. And to piggyback off of what you're talking about with horny mad scientists and stuff, I'll also say that Verhoeven is basically Rennie Harlan's hornier older brother. <laughs> like it's it's crazy they're they're in uh they're in a very similar vein um the throbbing vein on on the side of a dick <laughs> to to uh use your phrase that i actually haven't heard you use in a while boy howdy boy howdy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had a great time though i i i i liked this movie more than i thought um more than I remember liking it. I remember it being kind of a, a messy shit show. But uh, this time around, when I watched it, I had a great fucking time. But um, to get into the the plot that uh, of the movie, which I'm not sure how many people are familiar with Hollow Man, but it's obviously inspired by the H.G. Wells's. Um, Invisible Man novel and also the 1933 film adaptation. Uh, it tells the story of Sebastian Crane, a scientist who volunteers to be the first human test subject for a serum that renders the user invisible. When his fo- when his fellow scientists are unable to restore him back to normal, he eventually becomes violently insane and goes on a murderous rampage, a murderous rapey rampage, we should say. Um, the film... This is a, a, a rarity for our podcast. It, it received almost uh, negative reviews across the board, but it was a financial booming success. I mean, it grossed 190 million worldwide on a on a 95 million dollar budget. It was a, this is another maybe first for the podcast. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects in 2001, um, losing to Gladiator. I, having not seen Gladiator literally since Gladiator came out, what were the what were the stunning visual effects in Gladiator? <laughs> I mean, like other than dropping in, you know, people into the in the Colosseum and shit. But like, I don't know. I don't think of Gladiator as a as a modern marvel of visual effects. So I'm gonna say this right now. I've seen both movies. I saw. Before this, I saw Hollow Man in in the theater. I I cannot recall why. What compelled me to want to go see this movie in the theater? Mm-hmm. But I there was a time where I would definitely go to see movies more often, kind of off the cuff, just to you know, oh hey, let's go out and 
see a movie, oh, this look, you know, without any sort of prior knowledge, really, of what... Let's go see a movie this weekend. Yeah, well, this is also during a time when the internet was not so all-consuming. Um, this movie looks like shit, and uh, Gladiator actually looks pretty cool. But I, So I, I see it from, from that perspective, I mean, because Gladiator... Being a period piece, it's it's where it's very well designed. Well, whereas, I mean, I, I understand with this movie, they were they were trying to be very ambitious. So, you know, maybe for the time, I I give it credit for what it did, for what it tried to achieve. But it's it's one of those things where the technology and the intent hadn't quite caught up with each other yet. So it still was kind of it, 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 how should I put it? It looks cool for what they were trying to do, but it still doesn't look good. (laughs) I was, I thought I misremembered. I thought it, I, I was remembering that it looked like shit too. I disagree. I think it looks great. I don't, I don't actually have a qualm with the way it looks. And I don't even think it looks like, 2000 great i think it it looks good like i think they did a good they they went out of their way to to do a lot of shit here that's like trick of the hand stuff and it it wasn't just a complete like cgi botched job which is what i remembered i thought i remembered it just being like an awful cgi botched job but they they did like uh, a lot of practical effects or at least they attempted to with the gorilla and with kevin bacon now i'm not saying like it's stunning in its uh in its presentation um but yeah you know comparatively to like something like gladiator this was at least like um like what you said ambitious at least it was like going for it Whereas there's nothing like Gladiator's safe. Like there's nothing ambitious necessarily about Gladiator, other than like the scope of it. I also haven't seen Gladiator literally since it came out, but so I don't know how it how dated it looks or doesn't look. But yeah, the the grandiose scope of Gladiator, you know, I, I get it. But yeah, um, and also like Verhoeven is coming off of uh, being a sort of special effects like guru, at, or at least pairing himself with people who know special effects very well, total recall and RoboCop. Like he's coming, he's bringing to the table movies that were groundbreaking for their time. Like, do you think RoboCop looks like shit now with like the stop motion stuff or does it look dated to you? Or do you think that holds up or that looks great? I mean, I know you're nostalgic probably for that way of, uh, special effects treatment. Yeah. I mean, you do bring up a good point. I that's why I was trying to I was trying to choose my words well and I I didn't do a good job. Because maybe it would have been more apt to say dated, but for the time I could see it looking cool. The same can be applied to the RoboCops. So yeah, when you watch the first RoboCop in particular, Clearly, those effects, especially with the Ed 209, they look a little dated. But for what they were doing, it was phenomenal. So they 
they made an advancement, but it could still be interpreted as not quite settling into the movie as naturally as it could have. Yeah. And I suppose you could say that about this too. That when, when it does show the changes between like the gorilla and with Kevin Bacon, you could see that, yeah, a lot of work went into that. And I have much more of an appreciation for that than say, if we use a comparative movie with CGI effects that we've talked about deep blue sea. Yes. Yeah. You know, whatever. But Deep Blue Sea was another instance where they did have some really great practical effects and props that they had tried to, you know, intersperse with the CGI. So and that's, that w- yeah, that's why I, I, he, he's akin to being like Rennie Harlan's older brother. Basically, they're, right. they're very much from this European mindset of 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 filmmaking, but turned American. You know, yeah, making things very larger than life, very over the top exploitative, but on this grand big budget scale, B movie, big budget. Yeah. 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 Which is my shit. Um, yeah. But also like, think of the year 2000. What a, what a, what a shit landscape we're entering into at that time with, um, plenty, plenty of movies that were, like I, I just looked up movies that came out in the year two thousand. The Cell, Pitch Black. There's the oh X Men came out that year. There's so many like just bad CGI movies. This is like the age where Titan AE came out in two thousand. This is like the age where everything was just auto filled in with CGI. Like there was no attempt anymore to have practical effects. So. I I do I do like that Verhoeven stuck to that though at least because he could have this could have been completely CGI'd from top to bottom and it would have been the easy way out and he didn't take that that path. But I will disagree with you just real quickly on that point. I think the cell actually looks really good. I think it's a, a very well made movie. Well, the cell is another one where it's like, maybe I'm misremembering because I remember like I thought Hollow Man, like thinking back on Hollow Man, having not seen it. I was like that. I remember it looking like shit. So maybe I'll look back on I'll rewatch the cell and it's, you know, it's different. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's get into the good, the bad and the questionable then. good i you know i we uh our our last segment is going to bleed into this one but in my good is the special effects and how it is a this is a big special effects movie like and i think that dates back to 
1933 version as well, which um, had for its time groundbreaking special effects as well. When he's unraveling himself um, and the glasses are just sitting on his face, like it, it, there's some really tight shit in the original Invisible Man. And so there's just like a passing of the torch of if you're going to do an Invisible Man movie, you have to do, you have to kind of take the special effects seriously because this whole concept is hinged upon great special effects. And I think Lee Wannell, 20 years later, right, does that to great effect as well with his Invisible Man. So there's a long lineage here. And I think all three movies do them in a very different manner. But all three of them have cool shit that I, I think is like, you know, holds up. Not all the way through, maybe, but for the most part, I, I thought it was fucking great, which is which I was the most surprised by. I thought I was going to come into this thinking it didn't hold up at all. Yeah, there was there was for sure some aspects of it that I I enjoyed and I appreciated. I think it was more for my standpoint, the effort that went into it than maybe how it had translated on screen. Yeah, I'll be perfectly I honest. See that. But there was definitely some parts where I thought were very visually stunning um, in those regards. And one was the pool scene where he goes and he uh, murders the the colonel or whatever. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah, I really like that scene. I thought that that looked very good. Any scene where his uh, any scene where somebody's face is being like morphed and you can see finger indentations in their face, like they're getting choked or whatever. That shit is so tight. Like it looks so cool. I, I fucking yeah. I love anything where fingers are being like mashed into into skin and it, you know, it being invisible or whatever. But it's it's funny. It's the more subtle. It's the more subtle special effects. So like, you know, the gorilla or or the anatomic Kevin Bacon, like going f- fluxing in and out of invisibility that asks a lot. Uh, and that's that's almost too much for this movie to handle. But I love like when she's throwing all the blood around and it's like splashing on parts of him. And then there's like footsteps in the blood. Like it's the more it's the more subtle scenes where this this shit is pulled off more effectively. Um, and that that's the stuff I, I love the most. Well, and I feel that's maybe a big reason why this was a success. And maybe this is one of those instances of more so of the uh, the cleaving of the cinematic world into these two paths of being not necessarily critically accepted, but being a big budget over the top affair that our further dumbed down public loves more and more like junk food. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's necessarily a thing that happened has happened more increasingly over time, or it's just something that's always been there that I'm just not aware of, or I'm not, you know, making the connection of, but you know, because of the efforts that went in to making this so over the top and, and that can, you know, again, that can generally be applied to Verhoeven movies because I, th- I think with other Verhoeven movies, he's really trying to make a poignant statement and there's a lot of layers to it with the big budget over the topness that maybe 
I, I guess the hoi polloi doesn't really get the point he's making. They just go to see the explosions yeah. and, and the and and the death and destruction. You know, so this is another application of this, but you know, it just kind of it didn't get pulled off to quite as great of an, an effect again as his other stuff, but it's no. still there. You know, it has those Verhoeven fingerprints all over it. As you were saying, total earlier. recall being like still mind bendingly spectacular. It, it's nuts. How, how total recall holds up. Yeah. Phenomenal movie. It's unbelievable. It really is. Um, but yeah, I've also come to realize that I think I just love this movie trope of bringing batshit experimental ideas to the military. <laughs> right. Like Class of 99. Like this idea of real batshit experimentation just being given to the hands of the military. Like literally, we went from Class of 99 with with these robot, robo-death substitute teachers to this idea that we would give the military or the military is, you know, looking into invisibility as a, <laughs> as a means of, of warfare. I, I think I just love that idea in general. Well, and, and a big part of how I feel about that, I need to leave for the other parts of the, the show of our discussion. Sure. Yeah, it is. In, it is. In, it, and, and of course it is another, that is another, very common recurring thing in American cinema, particularly because we've talked about this. I'm sure I talk about this with other people a lot about this idea that's prevalent in American culture and, and art and entertainment where (laughs) we're constantly having this discussion and dialogue within our art about, the bad aspects of U.S. imperialism and capitalism, but we're never doing anything about it. (laughs) You know, this is another one of those things where it's like, yes, clearly this is bad, but we're going to do it anyways. And then we're not going to do anything about it afterwards. So, right. Right. Yes, it is. It is a common trope about, you know, the, the limits of science to do good and how, you know, you know, how much bad it can do and when it's not in capable or moral hands. Clearly, this is another instance of that. I love it in any application, though, like Return of the Living Dead is the exact same yeah. thing. Right. Or aliens, like anything that gets when the government or the military is subcontracted for some for some bat shit like super villain evil shit <laughs> that I love conceptually love that as just a movie idea. I'm, I'm in every time whenever that happens, but I'd like to hear some of your good as well. Well, I honestly don't have a lot, but, and a lot of them are very just <laughs> me just picking little, little details out. But as far as an overarching good, I do like this cast. This is a great cast. This is a great ensemble of people. Wow. I fucking think this is a shit cast of like the worst fucking people. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, that's so weird that you like these. Like they, they, you like the cat. It's like one of the things I hated the most. Actually, you got the Baconator. You got Elizabeth Shue. You got Josh Brolin. I love Josh Brolin. I don't know how his career survived this, but yeah, well, I don't think it really did because, as far as I know, it's funny because I was thinking about this with Josh Brolin. Let's have our Josh Brolin corner because it's important. Right. Yeah, it's very important. How did um, it not survive this? He became fucking mega huge. He's like an Infinity War and all this bullshit. Hang on, I'm getting to that, all right? Because for me, I remember Josh Brolin's big comeback occurring with Planet Terror. Because I honestly did... Uh, I totally forgot that he was in this movie up to that point. But I remember not seeing him in anything essentially between when he was a teenager till planet terror and forgetting this, this movie in particular. So I don't know. I almost feel like maybe, you know, he was kind of in a, a lull there for a long time. And then he was put in this role and that didn't do him any favors. And then finally planet terror. I distinctly remember reading that planet terror was the movie that kind of brought him back. And that's when he started getting these more reputable roles and has ever since. Not this movie. No. I don't remember anything in between this movie and Planet Terror. I'm sure he was, but I just... Well, I th- I feel like No Country for Old Men is his actual comeback, which is the same year as Planet Terror. He did both of those the same year. So maybe 2007 is just like his year. Fair enough. I actually didn't know that they came out at the same time. I thought for some reason Planet Terror came out a little bit before, before, but it probably yes. did. But they're both the same year, yeah. Right. So he released yes. three movies in two thousand seven. Okay. Well, yes. Clearly, it would be more attributable to No Country for Mor- uh, for uh, for Old Men because he's yeah. obviously yeah. he's obviously phenomenal in that, and that's a phenomenal movie. Probably one of the greatest movies in my opinion, in the last 20 to 30 years. And he doesn't get the the subsequent uh, Coen Brothers role in Hail Caesar, which I fucking hate Hail Caesar. I think it's one of the worst Coen Brothers movies. But to be a Coen Brothers guy, like someone that the Coen Brothers go to, is, is a big get for your career. Um, yeah, and then he just kind of pivoted into Marvel stuff, like with Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers crap. Um, so say what you will. I have no idea of the merits of a Marvel's movie. Like I don't know if your acting career, if that's a if that's something to hang your acting career on, that you're in a bunch of Marvel shit. Like <laughs> I know that that's like what you what you do to like pivot into just the most money you've ever seen in your life. But are people like critically acclaimed for being in Marvel shit? Like, does Robert Downey Jr. get a lot of praise for being an Iron Man? Like, as an auteur? <laughs> like, as a serious actor? I have no idea. I, I'm genuinely asking. I don't know. I think he's phenomenal as Thanos. No, I'm sure he's great. But, like, it, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a fucking Marvel movie. Like, it's a comic book movie. So I don't take those as seriously for just me personally. As, as I would if, you know, as the no country for old men's in his filmography. Of course. I guess. Yes, 100%. I'm with you on that. But let's circle back to this. So you don't think the core of the three leads in this are good? 
like as actors, you don't you don't appreciate them as actors. I'm not talking about the other fuckheads that I don't know any of their names. But the, sure. those, the other fuckheads, the curly headed fuckhead is in a curb episode. Yes, he is. <laughs> I, just I, did, I did see that. Um, I'll save what I think of specifically what I think of the cast for my bad. So I don't show my hand. But okay. I, I love I love some of these individuals individually, if that makes right. any sense. Like I love Kevin Bacon and I like Josh Brolin. I think they were just miscast in this. Like Josh Brolin has no business being in this movie. Like it doesn't it's not a Josh Brolin role. It doesn't do anything for him. I think Kevin Bacon as the lead is fine, but I just it just seems like a weird mishmashing of individuals. Like it's, it's it's a strange ensemble whereas individually I like some of these actors. It just seems like you know, collectively, it's a strange cast to me. I don't know. That's what I meant. I didn't mean that in this movie they're good. I meant that I like these actors. <laughs> I guess. Okay. <laughs> no, I like Elizabeth Shue. Speaking of comic book stuff, I know you don't give a shit, but you should actually watch this show, even if you're not a comic book person. You should. You should watch the show The Boys. Elizabeth Shue is in that, and she is fantastic. And that show is so good. I started watching The Boys because it's on Amazon, right? Yeah, it is. Well, it's an Amazon show or whatever, right? Um, yeah, I started watching it, and I, I didn't. It's not that I was bored or whatever. I just I didn't care to keep going because I just can't seem to be interested in anything when it comes to. <laughs> When it comes to superhero stuff, I might watch The Peacemaker because I love John Cena so much. But I've heard it's good. I, I, I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, I've heard it's great. But anyways, um, so I, yeah. I, I think that's what I meant. That if <laughs> collectively, I like, Kevin, I like Kevin Bacon as an actor. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I, he seems like he's a nice guy, and I, I like him in certain roles. Is he a great actor? No. There's plenty of people I like, though, that aren't the best actors that I like seeing them in movies. Josh Brolin actually is a really good actor, as you were saying. Yeah, he he, he he's beyond the pale with the, with this sort of stuff. Yeah, I agree. But anyways, um, I'll also say I, I piggyback. I, I, I stated this, but I also want to double back around to this because not just in not just in a special effects way, but I just, I love the trajectory of the invisible man as it's just been reimagined over time. Like with yeah. that 1933 James whale version. Um, and you have again, that, that scene where he's like, you're crazy to know who I am. Well, all right, I'll show you. And he's <laughs> the unraveling is, is, is so tight. I think just like, it's a strange like we got so many incarnations of Dracula and Frankenstein and in terms of like the invisible man, in terms of like the original, you know, Hollywood horror shit, the invisible man's trajectory is, is so strange. Like you get the original 1933 version, then it takes 70 years to reconceptualize it in, in hollow man. Um, and then you fast forward 20 years and Lee Wan Nell's invisible man. Like I think Elizabeth Moss, getting attacked in the kitchen is like the, the 
feather in the cap of that movie, but all of them have like some sort of groundbreaking scene that I think hollow man's is probably like the latex being poured over his, his face and like as being like an iconic scene and him having to wear like the latex mask around each of them had like their own imprint in, in horror and in, in this weird subgenre. And I like the trajectory of, of the invisible man as a film legacy. I will interject. I do believe there, there was another invisible man movie in the seventies. Ah, okay. Yeah. If there was, I've definitely never seen it and I would have to, would have to, uh, maybe revisit it. I feel because I feel, as far as I just universe- looked up the Invisible Man 1975 and it says there was a show. Oh, okay. Invisible <laughs> Man series. It lasted one season, 1975. Yes, you're right. I feel that as far as reinterpreting or resurrecting these archetypes of universal monsters or classic Victorian monsters. It happened in the 30s and then in the 70s. You know, it happens in these... The hammer horror stuff. Yeah, these 30-year intervals. 20 to 30. But that's everything. Everything happened, you know, because it's a generational flip where you have the people that grew up watching, watching or ingesting certain pop cultural artifacts then they become of age to be able to recreate it or pay homage to it yeah you know but but, and also like i was also thinking about this when i watched when i watched this version and we'll get into this in the in the bad but i think in terms of in for women in film or like feminist film theory or whatever women go from like a non-entity in in the original Invisible Man. In 1933, it's a boys club movie. Like there's nary a woman to be seen. I think like there's maybe like one of the professor's wives or whatever is in it. But it's a boys club movie. So they go from like a non-entity in 1933 to ultimately being completely objectified in Hollow Man. Like they are there for the objectification. (laughs) Right. And, And that is the, they are eye candy. And then it's all they're ultimately vindicated and empowered by the time you get to like Lee Wannell's adaptation in 2020. Like he smartly trades out that like titillation factor for more, a more like well-rounded realistic portrayal of women. And, and Elizabeth Moss is, is like trying to process trauma and leave her abuser behind. So the, the scope of women in these films ultimately has a trajectory that ends in, you know, ends in a positive format. We're not there with this adaptation, but it is the trajectory at least ultimately gets there by the time 2020 rolls around. Yeah, I'll say not fully. So with with the 30s role of women, and this is in general, they clearly have the role of being the delicate, you know, side piece to the male role, the fainting, delicate, you know, kind of psychologically more easily disturbed or disrupted. And then to hear, yes, I like how you said that they do turn to being more 
in the forefront as as being close to being equals cohorts to the males, but they're still objectified. But I'll disagree with you in the point that I feel in this movie, Elizabeth Shue does take on a stronger role because she ultimately does. She, she does end up being the victor. She does end up being the she's one. She's a, a final girl of she's sorts. A, she's a final girl in this movie with Josh Brolin. She ends up ultimately dispatching the Kevin S- Sebastian, whatever that character, and then saving Josh Brolin. So I disagree a little bit. I, I yes, I mean it's more heavy on they're still objectified, but she does end up being vindicated in the end. And then when we get to this newest interpretation with the Lee Wanell, it's even more so prominent. That role, that female, it comes full strong. circle. Like he, yeah. it's an actual port. It's a well-rounded portrayal of of women, and and also like you know them taking back their own sort of sexuality in a lot of ways. Right. So yes, I mostly agree with you. I think. Well, I think we're we're pretty much we're in agreement. I just wanted to point out that I didn't think that there wasn't at least some indication of trying to portray a strong female in this movie. It just wasn't as fully fleshed out, maybe, or fully pronounced. Can we also talk about, because this is also in my good, uh, Verhoeven's trajectory from basically 87 to 2000, to me, is just a wild filmography and bangers across the board with RoboCop in 87, Total Recall in 1990, Basic Instinct in 1992, Showgirls, which is, a, you know, it is super polarizing, but Showgirls in 1995, Starship Troopers in 97, and then Hollow Man in 2000, which I don't know if you knew this as well, but this is his last American movie. So after Hollow Man, he retires from American filmmaking goes back to Europe and has uh, and has just made like art house or basically European fair for the rest of his career. Yeah, I did read read that. That's why I call this Paul Verhoeven's shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is it. That but that run from 87 to 2000 is nuts. Like yeah. I know Showgirls is is considered the worst movie ever made but from a <laughs> I, I want to put showgirls in a petri dish and just look at it from uh, from behind a microscope for the rest of my life because it exists to just be insane it's it doesn't even <laughs> exist in any sort of format that is like palatable it, it is there to be be grotesque and shameful and it it's like revels in that it's nuts it doesn't even feel like a movie that was made it is like the room it it, it is so like unaware and yet like i don't know we'll get to showgirls i'm sure but yeah um because we we definitely we've We've got we've up danced the, around it. We've danced oh, around oh. it exactly, but we just have a dove full in. Um, real quick, though, I did want to point out some other things because I do have some other goods. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to completely. You know, I don't. I don't want to be the the 
the mean mugger of this movie. No, I, I kept going because I didn't know if, if I needed to carry this section or not. <laughs> no, no, no. I do think this movie is shot very well. Cinematography, excellent. There's some really cool creative. I always, I always like movies, if it's done well, that are shot from the, the POV of the, the villain. Mm-hmm. which was something that kind of in a lot of ways was put more to the forefront as a technique with Halloween. That's one of the things about Halloween that a lot of people like to discuss and critique is this idea of creating the perspective from the villain throughout the movie. I think it's done very well in this as well as a lot of really great cinematography and camera work and the soundtrack's good soundtracks fitting that's another thing that I feel at least sets us apart from movies of the time that really does date movies more so than the CGI is the terrible, terrible new metal hard rock soundtrack that tries to give it that edgy vibe for the time. That is 100% the best way to date these late 90s, early 2000 movies is to drop in the dis- the disturbed soundtrack, the, you know, well, the drowning pool. But isn't what, like, what is Kevin Bacon listening to in, in his car? Isn't that like some butt rock bullshit? There's, there is that one part. Yes. That There's scene that where he set. gets in the car and cranks it. That's, that was so cringy. Like, that's, but, that's definitely cringy. But I did want to say that whole sequence, though, there is a part that I really like. I do like it when he pulls up next to the kids and he flashes up his sunglasses. Oh, my God. Talk them. about like a scene. There is just certain things that are Im- embedded in my memory. I vividly remember that is like the scene from the trailer that like was played over and over and over again. Like that that scene is so iconic I, I and when it happens it, i'm almost like out of body because i'm i've just seen that scene in trailers for leading up to this movie for so long but yeah, yeah. i fucking love that scene too so yes with that exception whenever he he's, whenever he's good yeah i guess well that it no that's a choice of the movie but like i guess it's more indicative of kevin bacon's character being like this butt rock scientist on the edge <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to refrain from saying anything because I'm going to wrap it up. Other than there's that. I also put infrared dong. That's good. The infrared dong. Yeah, any dong is great. But it, when you can have it be uh, through infrared. Hello, I want to <laughs> I want let me see the heat signature of that dong, baby. Yeah, let, let me see that swing and heat. Uh, <laughs> also. I know this is a little bit of foreshadowing in the movie, but that Superman joke, I've always thought is hilarious, even though it's rapey. It is. Yeah. And we'll, well, we'll get to the, uh, yeah, we'll get to the big bad, the big elephant in the room, uh, here in a second. But yes, I do enjoy that joke as well. (laughs) Um, I also just think, just to maybe put a cap on it, there's lots of carnage at the end that's happening. I love the end. I think it culminates in a in the way I want a big baddie movie to do, <laughs> which is just be a very insane and quick 20 minutes of carnage. Um, 
Carter's death is particularly brutal. Like what I was saying earlier with the finger indentations in his face and getting choked and his skull bashed in on the pipe. Like it doesn't flinch at all. Like the camera is there for every bit of it. I love the blood throwing scene. One of my favorites. Um, I just love him just creating total havoc in that lab and everyone trying to everyone kind of doing like a Scooby gang where it's like, let's all split up. That'll be like the way we do this. <laughs> Which is always bad. Always That's a bad, bad plan. He's invisible. So let's all split up so he can murder us individually. But, um. well, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know if you had this thought because I feel that there are similarities in how this movie I guess kind of plays out in terms of its environment and the, the, the antagonist as deep blue sea, because you have, it's, it's set up in a lab. You have yeah. an experiment gone haywire essentially, and it's running amok and it's killing people individually. And then it leads up to the facility blowing up. I feel that there was a lot of similarities in terms of how, it, it did develop plot wise. There's even a scene which I was like having deja vu where um, one of the female scientists, I think it's, it's, it's probably Dr. Kennedy or whatever, like slaps Linda, like Elizabeth shoes character. And is like, basically like, what have you done or whatever? And there's like a shot for shot exact thing in deep blue sea where she's like, you bitch. Remember she slaps, right the scientist and is like what have you done like there's a there is a what have you done female on female slap in both (laughs) movies it's crazy i had like the same exact and that's and that's the other thing why i mentioned earlier he's like rennie harlan's weird like hornier older brother it's strange They, they both tackled these two things in similar in similar capacities yeah I had that thought. I, it it was uh, it permeated my thoughts as well. Um, and Deep Blue Sea is 1999. Interesting. What the hell? It's just one wow. of those things that was in the collective consciousness of white male European directors. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, any any more good, or should we move on to the bad? That's it for me. All right. Let's move on to the bad and probably address the elephant in the room and <laughs> the thing that's on both of our lists. But, you know, the overall Verhoeven's overall obsession with objectification of the female form and that, that, that just the whole that whole angle just does doesn't age well. And moreover, it's it's supposed to be like this flawed antihero of sorts that descends into madness. This idea of like science run amok and the arrogance of man or whatever. And all of that conceptually is just whittled down to like a single celled creature with that only wants to use the invisibility to rape and and sexually assault. <laughs> like It's so weird. It's so it's such a weird angle. Yeah. So that's top of the list. And that ties into you and you were getting into this part. This is really bad character development because you have an instance of the 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 implication is that in the hands sorry let me back up again you have 
an instance here of when you get this science into the hands of people, they will inevitably do bad. The military obviously being the 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 logical extension of all this. But with Sebastian, the problem is he's already a dickhead. It's not we don't have an instance here of he was an okay guy. He had good intentions. He was a moral person. And then the technology in his hands made him go insane. He was already a fucking asshole. He was already this guy, this arrogant fucking horny shithead that had this hubris about him. So that's the problem, you know, inherent to this, this whole concept in this movie. Is it would be one yeah, thing you in, want you want to be able to like like in the original you want to have been able to have identified with someone's struggle with with all this power that goes to their head and you know someone that was maybe developing this for ultimately you know good or or virtuous reasons becomes poisoned by it but yeah he's never played as a dickhead that that is given evil powers and it's he makes him like a mega dickhead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's already he's already a rapist. Now he can just in his now brain, he can rape with impunity. With and impunity. who are who are we left to identify with to pivot into because you were we, we were talking about the cast and I wanted to wait, but like I don't I in the year two thousand, I don't like how every female character is either Dollar General Meg Ryan or Dollar General Anne Heche. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, Elizabeth Shue is giving me just knockoff brand Meg Ryan vibes. And and Kim Dickens is is like the angry Anne Heche stereotype in this. Um, so, like, I'm given to good double background. Nobody else do I really identify with and or root for. I mean, I guess I'm rooting ultimately for Josh Brolin's career to somehow survive this. <laughs> right. That is the only person I'm rooting for. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not left with anybody that I care about. I don't even care about Elizabeth Shue's character. And what you were saying earlier, like at least like her character was given like some sort of final girl application of sorts. But even – even that, like Verhoeven couldn't help himself, and like she's also in this like weird menage a trois, like dicking both of those dudes around for some reason. Like I don't know why that angle is in it, and she's clearly thirsty for both those dudes. Like I, I, I don't. That I think that ruins it. That ruins her final girl application by by whittling her down to being like the you know, the lab slut or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't doesn't do anything for me. I agree. I have to go back. When I say good cast, I like those actors, but yes, the application of them, the, 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 the writing makes them not good actors in this context. And I fully felt the same way with Elizabeth Chu. She's just kind of a, a bland, you know, generic, whatever actress of the time. She she's not able to fully blossom 
within the role because of the restrictions of the writing. Um, but I've liked her in other roles. Well, I mean, specifically, yeah, obviously in the 80s. Well, but, okay, this is what I wanted to bring up. She's in Leaving Las Vegas. Have you watched that? That Nicolas Cage movie from the no. mid-90s? It's phenomenal. It, and that's a 1995 movie. She's really good in that. So she had roles up to this point, you know. Literally her 80s run, though. Like, yeah, her 80s is, run is, is iconic. Them, but I want to say even in the 90s, up to, you know, even in in, in the most recent um, circumference of, of this movie, I felt like she still had good roles anyways. But again, not not this. Not her I've just movie. not ever. I've heard of Leaving Las Vegas. I have not heard of any. Uh, so outside of her epic 80s run, I've not heard of any of these movies. Soap Dish, Heart and Souls, 20 Bucks, Radio Inside, The Underneath, then Leaving Las Vegas, The Trigger Effect, The Saint, Deconstructing Harry, Palmetto, City of Angels, that awful fucking movie. Is that the one with... Um, yeah, with Meg Ryan. <laughs> that's Meg Ryan. But that's, yeah, uh, City of Angels has the the wings of the American wings of desire knockoff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, but, I'm, I'm here to say that I don't even understand. I don't even know what her nineties run is. I've never heard of any of these movies. I recommend going back and checking out leaving Las Vegas. I think you will really enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies. She does great in it. You got but it, buddy. So anyways, yeah. get us back on track. Go ahead. Mm. I mean, that's it. I've already talked about the CGI. I, you know, <clears throat> through our discussion here, uh, the CGI can be in the good I, and the bad. Okay, soft- I get it. I, yeah, I've softened a bit, you know, because as you were saying, they were really swinging for the rafters with this, and in that sense, I mean, better than like Rennie Harlan just doing like, just being like, let's just do a CGI Mako because I'm like, we're gonna we're gonna invest enough money to like to to buy Fort Knox into this mechanical shark that's anatomically correct and can like literally murder everyone in this room. But then also I'm going to just do some CGI Makos just for the hell right. of it because I'm too lazy. Like yeah. that this this never devolved into that. Like every decision they made was painstaking. They didn't take any shortcuts. Whether or not it it ages or or ended up being a big win across the board. Yeah, I, I agree. But there's flourishes here of 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 real art artistic um and conceptual wins, I think, for the movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's also in the bad. Because, you know, seeing anatomical Kevin Bacon come to life uh is is <laughs> when he opens up his anatomical eyes and is like rolling back and writhing around, it it reminds me of in Return of the Living Dead when when the zombie comes out of the fucking ground and opens its mouth and it's like, and party time hits and <laughs> it, it just reminds me of a, it, it's, <laughs> it is very like, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it's very like high school, um, high school health class, uh, anatomical vibes. <laughs> right. What else is in your bed? That's, that's actually it. Well, I'm I'm shocked. Like this, this is one thing else I wanted to bring up, and it's kind of like when we were talking about Rennie Harlan with the Mako Sharks. But 
the CGI flames in the elevator shaft at the end of the movie, it's crazy that that's what they chose to do. Like, that's the shortcut they took. It's just always crazy to me when they take shortcuts on practical things that are like easily, I mean, I don't know if filling a, an elevator shaft with flames is necessarily easy, but fire shit is, is not that hard to just, you know, do manually. It's crazy that that was what the, that was the glaringly bad CGI thing in the movie was, was the flames at the end. Yeah. So weird. Yeah, and I honestly didn't really even pay that much attention to it at that point. You know, I just... So at that point, you've been eye-fucked for two hours. (laughs) 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 So I get it. All right, moving on to questionable then. Um, What questions do we have? I've got a couple. Yeah, well, this is the one that we were kind of leading up to as well. So other than military application... What would be the practical benefits of invisibility for the public at large? Well, is there is there ever um, are they do they ever hint at the fact that this would be commercially viable, or is this strictly? I just I was under the assumption that this was like to do like a you know a round of super invisible super soldiers, like imperialism. It's it's all for the sake of imperialism, right? Yeah, I think that was the the whole premise of the the experiment was I think Sebastian said to see how much money they could get out of the military. But, but that's where it goes back to this idea of science for science sake, or, you know, science we're all about, you know, coulda, not shoulda, where just scientists just do things without, thinking about the moral ramifications of it to, to humanity, you know, that, that obviously this is aside from imperialism, what, what good could this possibly do for people? Is there any, I don't, there's oh, none. So you're asking like a uh, hypothetical, like what hypothetical. Good would, would uh, invisibility do for the, the public at large? Yeah. Can you think yeah, of one no, thing? outside of like ramping up uh, the already <laughs> bloated numbers of rape and <laughs> sexual right. assault cases, <laughs> I can't imagine that, you know, I feel like men given this in their hands would have a very insidious agenda. And we're just two white dudes talking about this, but I can't even fathom what a female would do with the power of invisibility. I mean, I could see that making themselves invisible yeah, we should, it should only be a bit yeah <laughs> we need to somehow we need to somehow engineer this to where only females have the ability to, to have the power to be invisible so in that sense yeah for women i see it being a boon just make yourself invisible from every shitty dude in the world and well, aren't the they go, aren't women already aren't women already invisible in our society oh, do we really well, need to give them you know <laughs> <laughs> we need to give them the physical power of invisibility. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. That's a good question. Also, pivoting off of that, how probable is it that could th- that this could even happen? I tried to look up to see if there was... Because there is some 
generally with these wild ideas, there's some actual real world parallel that was attempted. So yeah. I tried to tried to see if if there had been any actual real world instances of people developing invisibility in invisibility. Excuse me. Now with the Lee One L adaptation of this, that is the more probable because it's a suit that yes that plays with the with the optics that plays with you know the way light hits the eye i really love that i need to revisit i need to go back and watch it again but i really loved the idea of it because it was it was a practical application of of this idea yeah so with that movie that made it more realistic that oh i could see this happening and i know that that sort of experimentation has been at least attempted for the military i've read about it before camouflaging essentially that's what it is but in terms of injecting an actual serum into an a carbon-based individual or you know entity that somehow changes them on a molecular level clearly there's no fucking way but no, no. I think, yeah, I think the closest application we'll ever get is probably a suit that manipulates optics like you're talking about. So yeah. outside of that, I mean, it's not going to stop people from doing like some sort of men behind the sun scenario of trying to figure it out through some real fucked up experimentation. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't put it past like that sort of batshit kind of uh, manipulation of <laughs> of test subjects but yeah I, that'd be tight I, I wish we were closer than we were what would you rather have invisibility or like I always think when I watch Star Trek that the tightest thing on the fucking planet would be to be able to just transport seamlessly just to be completely reduced to atoms and then and then to reappear somewhere else uh, within seconds so would you rather have the beam out ability as a you know as a something to your fingertips or invisibility yeah i'd rather i'd rather have teleportation actually if we're really going to talk about this i'd rather have time travel but between the two that you discussed teleportation would be more my jam i i hope we're just, i watch star trek and i'm like i know that nerds are are influenced by it like like you see them on basically what amounts to be iPads and and iPhones with their <laughs> communicators in the original and nerds were so inspired by it that that's why we have iPhones because they just made it look like the shit that they were inspired by because nerds are, you know, everywhere and are inspired by Star Trek and they're the leading minds in our most of our fields. So I'm just hoping God, in my lifetime, that we can figure out a teleportation system well, of some sort. I feel that we kind of got it because anytime I enter into the, the world of the Internet, particularly with social media, I do feel like I am essentially being teleported into a different, a parallel world. Into hell? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because mentally, I always make the association of, well, that's the other reality that all of my friends are perpetually existing in and having conversations without me and, until I log in and then interact <laughs> with them. You know what I mean? That's how I always feel. Yeah, we've that's why cracked people, it. People feel, 
when they don't utilize social media after long, long uh, moments of consumption that they get the FOMO because there's yeah. the party, there's the party that's happening in there. They're missing out on all these discussions and cool, fun things. And then you get in there and then you remember again, you're like, Oh dude, I hate parties. And I you hate these nothing. people. I hate these people talking about this shit that they don't know anything about. I'm good. <laughs> gonna go check out <laughs> I'm gonna go teleport back to reality right so moving on you I I really only have one question I'm confused on how the invisibility works like when Sebastian is burnt by the makeshift flamethrower or whatever right he's suddenly visible again so like but like wouldn't his charred flesh just remain invisible uh Right. Like, like, I get it when it's like you see him through in the water or when she's throwing the blood around or that's why they have to wear the infrared shit. But to harm him, like if you were to cut him, would he bleed blood that you could see or would his blood be invisible? I don't see how charring his invisible skin suddenly makes like you would think if you if you burnt him you could smell singeing hair and burnt flesh. And maybe that's a way of like maybe detecting if he's nearby, but I don't, why can you see it? I, I guess that's just a question for the movie. Yeah. I had all kinds of questions about those scenarios playing out and how consistent they, how internally consistent they were with the logic of the movie so were right you endlessly it. fascinated with this idea of transparent um, eyelids? Because I couldn't stop thinking about it when they said it. Yes, that as well. I At one point, I like put my hand over my face with my eyes open and was like, could I sleep like this? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, how, so, how would I sleep? Yeah, so I did have a question about that. That seems pretty – there's a pretty simple solution to that. Wear an eye mask. People do I that all the time. I, I wear an eye mask every night. Yeah. But I was like trying to like put my hand over my face with my eyes still open though. And thinking yeah. like, like would your brain still be like your eyes are open? Like would your brain communicate with you that you can't sleep like that? Or like, I don't know how that would work. I was in this. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I understand. I like that idea because it actually is like what leads to his madness is probably like the inability to sleep. Really? Yeah. The sleep deprivation. But I don't think it tracks with the internal logic of the movie. I just I there's all kinds of problems. with. Yeah, I don't understand it. Like, why are his eyelids transparent? Like, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's one of those things that they can make up their own rules because it's not it's a f- fictional concept and they can do whatever the fuck they want, I guess. Yeah, if you really wanted to do get into your due diligence and research the possibilities of all these things actually playing out and in the real world, you know, people talk a lot about the logical consistency of time travel within the Terminator series. That's no, another yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you can yeah. work that out somehow on your own, I suppose. But I was having all kinds of issues with it, too, where I'm like thinking, well, would that happen? Would that really be right. how it is? Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Um, I had a couple other uh, <laughs> questions. Um, why is it? And the, 
maybe this is another, this was like a small directorial choice or writing choice to show the, the second class status of the women or the objectification uh, status of the women in the movie. But did you notice in the, the bathroom, the, the communal bathroom, there's two, there's two urinals, but only one toilet. Come on now. Come on. And the, and the, the, uh, the team is like half men, half women too. I know. Come on guys. Maybe they can squat in the urinal. I don't know. They could. (laughs) Have you ever shit in a urinal? No, but I pee sitting down. Pretty sure I have. (laughs) Pretty sure one time I shit in a urinal. It'd be something like that. I I do pee sitting down sometimes too. I always do. It's more comfortable and I can read. Yeah, I agree. My wife hates it, but I I (laughs) just give her the, I just give her the Larry David, uh, monologue about peeing sitting down. There's one other question I had. This is another trope when it comes to the mad scientist thing, because I don't see a lot of applications of this in, in the real world as well. Would genius of this level that this guy is supposedly at, would it be compatible with the ability or the, the, the possibility, I should say, that this guy is also just a complete unhinged fucking raging asshole maniac? Because yeah, I think they go hand in hand. You think they go hand in hand. See, I don't think they do when it comes to a, a scientifically minded individual. I think when it comes to science, generally people are whether this is what happens with science is it's not that they're always these raging maniacs, these, you know, control freak maniacs. It's more that they just completely rationalize whatever bad, you know, tendencies they have to further scientific goals. The point I'm trying, I'm just trying to make this point that I don't, I think if you're a genius and you're a science, a scientific genius, I should say, you also wouldn't be a rapist? <laughs> no, but I think if you reach this this level of critical thinking and groundbreaking experimentation, there there's some uh, there's a megalomania that like kind of manifests because of it. I mean, you're literally playing God. And I can I can see how that could lead to someone being, you know, beyond full of themselves and then sending into madness. Because yeah. Sure. So not hand in hand, but maybe like one, one could lead to the other more seamlessly. Maybe. Yeah. You got anything else? No. Should we hand out some awards? I just have one other question. Sure. When he, when he's leaving, one of the last times he's leaving the lab and he puts on his his fire marshal bill uh, pudding coating mask <laughs> and all that and he just happens to pull out a wig they just have a wig handy in the lab <laughs> did they have that wig there for him because of the the whole get up or was that just sitting there before and, the, and he and he just happens to remember oh 
we've got this wig from that Halloween costume party. Somebody like made a trip to Party City for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no idea. I don't know why that, that that would have even been around or why they would even need one. It's like, wouldn't the latex mask be enough? Do I need do we need the wig or like would there be multiple latex faced people running around? It'd be hard to differentiate without right. the wig. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's uh, let's hand out some awards. On this. Hey, did you ever hear the one about Superman and Wonder Woman? I'm planning around. No, come on. This is a good one. Superman is flying over Metropolis, right? He's horny as hell. He's checking out the rooftops, and all of a sudden he sees Wonder Woman sunning herself on the roof of the Justice League. Okay? I mean, she's lying there, buck naked, spread eagle, looking like she wants to be fucked, right? So Superman, he said to himself, "Oh my God, I gotta get myself some of that Wonder Pussy." But then. He realizes that he could fly down, do a little fast pumping and be gone before she even knows it because he's Superman, right? He's faster than a speeding bullet, right? So Superman, he swoops down, he fucks her so quick she doesn't even see him. Wonder Woman sits up, says, what the fuck was that? And the invisible man says, I don't know, but my asshole is killing me. The David Mendenhall Award goes to the worst performance. Um... Pick your poison, buddy. <laughs> I honestly didn't really land on anybody in particular. I don't know, man. I'm going to go with Kim Dickens as Dr. Kennedy, a.k.a. the Anne Heche Award for. <laughs> sure. That's fine. Yeah. We, okay. could, we Yeah, we could have picked anybody. This And also, she's totally in that, like trope of the early 2000s uh you know extremist feminist uh, uh animal rights person who disapproves of all the animal rights there are animal testings that are being done <laughs> like she's like that stereotype yeah um okay the frank booth award which goes to the character who best belongs in a david lynch movie who did you pick? I'm a little torn, but I think I know who I want to go with. Again, I don't know. I guess Kevin Bacon, Sebastian. There was nobody that stood out really clearly as being an, uh, as, yeah, much of an, as so much of an oddity that they could be transferred into that sort of universe. I think Rona Mitra... As Sebastian's neighbor, the voyeuristic uh, relationship that they have, I think just her in general is she's so striking that I could see her in a movie like um, Mulholland Drive or something. Like she's a, I could see her glad palling around with Naomi Watts or whatever. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think I did have that thought myself. So I'll, I'll be in agreement with you. Great. The E.G. Daily Secret Admirer Award, which goes to the biggest on-screen crush, to, and uh, a category of which will be the first to get the boot next season, because nine out of ten times I'm uncomfortable with this category. <laughs> oh, yeah? And it, well, it you know, we went from the movie with where there was nary a female character to be had outside of, like, child prostitutes, and then... <laughs> and then... 
we went to uh, what, was, what was the other uncomfortable one? Oh, we were basically picking between children um, because they were all like high school aged. Um, <laughs> and now I'm forced to uh, an, an, another <laughs> another boner decision with uh, the ultimate like with all these rapey fucking <laughs> it just seems like I'm playing into the Verhoeven trope here by having to pick the the one of the babes I like to bang on this rapey movie it seems it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I had I had that quandary myself but I did have what I felt was a logical answer and okay. this is going back to I'm uh I was inspired by your choice on the Cobra episode. No, we got the same person. Think a little outside of the box with this, for me at least. But Josh Brolin, he's a stud. Yeah, I said Josh Brolin too. What a hunk he's, of dick. He gets yeah, the hunk a, of dick award. He is definitely, maybe that should, maybe that's what this category it'll, should morph it'll into. It'll into, yeah. What is, what is the, the award for the, the biggest hunk of dick? Yeah, because too many times it, it is a Russian roulette of boners that I, I just, there's no win. In, right. Be- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because, I mean, in terms of my preference and hotness or whatever, it's the neighbor. But, yeah, she gets. Yeah. What am I going to say? She the gets neighbor, ravaged. The, the neighbor <laughs> who gets raped. <laughs> and then I feel like the peeping Tom rape scientist. And I have she, the we're shower. Gonna, we're going to give her my secret admirer award. <laughs> Might as well beat Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian so. gave her the, the he was this yeah, he had a real hard case of the E. G. Daily Secret Admirer Award. Oh <laughs> to to the extreme. But to yes, the, the fucking extreme. Yeah, the 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 safe land is Josh Brolin. We both stuck the landing because I had Josh Brolin too, because I wasn't gonna play this game. The movie that objectifies <laughs> women where and I now have to have a Choose a woman to objectify. <laughs> Not today, Verhoeven. Okay. Welcome to Primetime Bitch Award. Goes to the best one-liner. I'm surprised. You're a man who always wants to bring up uh, how quotable a movie is. Maybe you just didn't think this movie was uh, very quotable. It's not, but I did have a good one-liner. Okay. Let's hear it, because I didn't really... I didn't. Yeah, there, there's not that many one-liners in this, but what would you have? Towards the end, Elizabeth show, uh, Shoe says, "You think you're God? I'll show you God." That's good. Any, that's any good, reference that's good to any reference to your God is flawed. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really have. Um, I think it's Sebastian at one point says, "Like, how come when you say yes, sir, when it sounds like fuck you, <laughs> something like that?" Right. <laughs> And then Sarah just says practice, which is funny. Um, okay, I'll just go with yours because I'm looking through some quotes and none of them strike my fancy. So, man, we're gonna we're gonna pivot out of this real broke ass award ceremony <laughs> <laughs> into the wiki wormhole. Our final section, which uh, begins with the body count, um, six people, very distinctly, six individuals were killed. Um, I read seven. No, oh. so. wonder who the what the distinction was. Anyway, well, um, I mean, 
Well, let's think about this for a second. So we got three of the scientists. Yeah. The dog. Oh, you're counting the dog. I mean, I'm not. I read this, but I'm just... I am, but I'm not. I read this off of the internet that it was seven. But I'm counting the dog right now. That's what I meant. I'm assuming the neighbor... Well, this list says Dr. Howard Kramer, Janice Walton, Carter Abbey, Sarah Kennedy, Frank Chase, Sebastian Kane. I don't know. I don't okay. know what is missing on this list. Well, whatever. It's Anyways. far, far fewer than the 87 set by Dead Alive. So, yeah, nowhere near. I did see that the word fuck was used 45 times. Maybe we should have a fuck counter on the next. I did see that as well. Yeah, Just moving forward. Okay, so some... Some just some fun facts. This this one had a bloated amount of trivia, like they often do. But I just picked my favorites. Um, an anatomically correct, totally working computer model was created of Kevin Bacon's entire body, down to the last capillary. The three D yeah. model has since been donated to scientific researchers. Not sure why they need to study Kevin Bacon's hot bod for the rest of the time, but that's tight. <laughs> To get the to get the right reaction from the cast, Paul Verhoeven had speakers put in different places on the set and had Kevin Bacon's voice come from different speakers so the cast would genuinely react to the invisible character moving around. For the scene with the invisible gorilla, Verhoeven screamed into a microphone imitating gorilla noises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is tight. Uh, this is this is cute. In a European way, director Paul Paul Verhoeven and director of photography Jost Vacano had to be informed on the set as to what Marco Polo meant because Verhoeven is from the Netherlands, Vacano is from Germany, and neither had they even ever heard of the game. Is Marco Polo distinctly an American conception or Italian? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Wrong again. I didn't know this, but Paul Verhoeven was dissatisfied with the film. In 2013, he remarked to The Hollywood Reporter, quote, I decided after Hollow Man, this is a movie, the first movie that I made that I thought I should not have made. It made money and this and that, but it really is not me anymore. I think many other people could have done that. I don't think many people could have made RoboCop that way or, or Starship Troopers for that matter. But Hollow Man, I thought there might have been 20 directors in Hollywood who could have done that. I felt depressed with myself after 2002. Thanks a lot, Hollow Man. You fucked <laughs> us out of getting Paul Verhoeven movies over here. We could have got, yeah, because he, he, he distinctly pivots into this just European cinema after this. And I've seen subsequent... Uh, Paul Verhoeven movies and it's it's as if like Hollow Man is his last stand like after this his his movies don't have that any of that edge like conceptually they're cool and they have like they have ideas that are uniquely Verhoeven-esque but there's no there's no it's the death of the big budget um, special effects splash that Verhoeven made his made his mark with yeah which is sad this is the first holly <laughs> this is the first hollywood movie of verhoeven's that got an r rating in its first submission to the mpaa robocop total recall basic instinct showgirls and starship troopers all received either an x or nc-17 rating all of which except for showgirls which we will get to 
were recut to receive an R rating, but with Showgirls, he absolutely refused. Good for taking a stand. Good for taking a stand, yeah. <laughs> Creature effects supervisor Tom Woodruff Jr. played the gorilla Isabel, similar to the, his, the alien roles he played in the movies Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. I did not know that was the dude in the suit for the Alien movies. Um, to obtain a picture in the heat-sensitive infrared light, crew members warmed up the fur of the gorilla suit with hair dryers. So a real, a, a real uh, Hollywood icon, this Tom Woodruff Jr. doing, <laughs> doing lots of big-budget creature effects for some reason. Fantastic. Yeah, he's a hero. Um, let me see. One more. This film is the third Paul Verhoeven directed film that was nominated for Oscar for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. The first two were Total Recall and Starship Troopers. Um, Total Recall is the only Verhoeven film that has won that award. And uh, boy, did it deserve it in, in 1990. Uh, I need to revisit Starship Troopers. I remember fucking loving it, but it just being way way too long it is a very long movie um but i remember really really liking it it's so good it's so good that movie man oh man i really like it a lot yeah it's fucking it's fucking great but lots of bad cgi i remember that i remember lots of bugs getting exploded in a not really way see i feel the way i feel about starship Starship Troopers is kind of the way you f- you feel about this. Where I don't I don't think it's bad. I think it's great, and it's it's done to to good effect. You gotta go back and watch it. Um. Anyway, anything else you wanted to add to the trivia section? I meant to mention this earlier. I guess this is an appropriate time, but I am acquainted with Kevin Bacon's son. Have we ever had oh, this discussion? What the hell? You've waited till now? <laughs> did yeah, did you know that Kevin Bacon's son is he's he's enmeshed in the American the North American uh underground metal and, and hardcore scene? No. Been, no idea. I had no idea. Yeah, so he's actually a really nice guy. Um so you just wanted to name drop? That's what you added. Just want to name drop in, in, in case, uh, tra- in case uh, Travis Bacon is listening. I met him. Uh, I met him initially on tour in two thousand six. Yeah, and I, I I see him periodically. He's like a sound guy. Also, he's a sound engineer. Damn! Shout yeah. out to Travis Bacon. Old Travis Bacon. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my little personal anecdotal anecdotal trivia so what do we want to uh what iconography do we want to assign to this movie for our rating out of five fire marshal bill latex yeah the latex putty, mask putty yeah. masks let's do that <laughs> how many latex masks do you give it Two and a half. Two and a half. I I Two. struggle with our rating sometimes because <laughs> I had a great time, but I don't want my rating to reflect like. Does my rating reflect 
how good of a time I had or how good of a movie it was. This right. is how we, well, we always struggle. We always struggle with this. Got to untangle uh, the two. I do, to have be to, I do have to untangle it, like because <laughs> I don't want it out there in the universe that I gave Hollow Man five out of five latex masks. That could ruin my career as a podcaster. <laughs> you you would never be taken seriously. <laughs> never again. again. I'm going to give it three and a half latex masks. I just what? had a, a great time. I did. I had a great time. You're going to give I, this I, more I, than than combat shock. Yes. Or I equivalent. Would. Yeah, no, I, I definitely better than Combat Shock because I would return to this. I wouldn't return to Combat Shock. Oh, man. Uh, re- replayability is a big thing with me, Adam. You know this. I understand. I understand. Based off of your own your own rubric. that My own fucked up rubric. Uh, I'll, okay, I understand. I'll let so, you have that one. What's on the next episode? What's on the docket? Are you going to continue your uh, your rampage? Or are we going to break the cycle here? Who's going to blink? We're in a weird, we're both in a room with our boners out, staring at each other (laughs) in the eyes, and one of us has to flinch here. Well, I think I told you earlier that I'm trying to stay consistently uh, chronological with the, the list that I've made. Instead of hopping around so much, just so I can... You should just hop around so much. Who cares? I mean, I might a little bit, but I am I'm going to stay kind of in line. Because I feel that this is a movie that's not necessarily going in the opposite direction, as we've been doing, but is going completely off the radar in just into the fucking weird astral plane you can't even see which direction this is going so okay pat next time we're gonna watch the 1983 shaw brothers horror kung fu fantasy epic the boxer's omen right no i've not seen it um but Given everything that you uh, described, I'm very excited. Yeah, because I think it's been quite a few episodes back before we entered the ring of any sort of kung fu fair, any Hong Kong affair. Well, there was police story, so maybe not that far back. But any just completely gonzo batshit like what the fuck. A.K. Ricky O type thing. Yeah. It's been a minute, so I wanted to, I wanted to get back into that territory a bit. And if it's anything like Ricky O, that's maybe that's my favorite movie you've ever you've ever brought to the table. I'm I'm not gonna say too much because I'm just really excited for you to see this movie because it is something. I'm so, yes. fucking very excited. Great. Right. And back to a foreign language movie, too. Right. So we're, we're taking off some boxes here that we need to, you know, stay on top of. Certainly. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Entomb with the song, appropriately enough, Hollow Man. 
If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod or also on TikTok um, at midnightflix. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you next week. Or catch me on, on the TikToks with all my hip-hop dances. <laughs> <laughs>